never give up. I never give up. I never give up. Hi guys, welcome back to My Steps to Sobriety, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. Today is another fantastic day because it is a good day. I've got Steve Feldman with me. He's the CEO of Feinberg Consulting. And I'm so excited to talk to this man because he's a man who actually allows the loved ones of someone who is stuck in addiction to no longer be helpless and hopeless, but he actually works with them and works on interventions, on actually breaking through the wall that alcoholics put in and addicts put in front of them. Uh, and this this denial that is so characteristic for for our disease. So I'm I'm very excited to talk to you, Steve. Welcome to my show. Yeah, thank you very much. I'm really glad to be here today and mm. and just appreciate the opportunity to chat. Oh, please. And it is it is such a bizarre thing, isn't it? That is if there's one thing that that is typical for alcoholics, it's the denial. 95% of alcoholics will look you in the eye and say there's nothing wrong with me, doctor. There's absolutely nothing wrong. Look, look Joe over there now he is an alcoholic, but me? No. Uh, why why are we so stupid why is that what is in a happening in our brain what is your take on that well first let's just say that the denial is a strategy because i believe that addiction has a life of its own a personality of its own and it's fighting for survival and in fighting for survival, it will use whatever tactics necessary to be able to continue. So because addiction doesn't happen in a vacuum, one of the strategies that it uses is uh, impacting the people around, the loved ones, the family. And that impact is really putting them in a defensive position to not get in the way of the addictive process, the addictive cycle, and the addiction that somebody is hanging on to so tightly. I love it the way you describe it as, as addiction being its own entity um, that actually works really, really well when you think about it. And that explains actually a lot. Because let's not forget that we all drink alcohol or gamble or use the behaviors that we are not proud of um, in order for some purpose. And typically it's the you would say either pleasure to to get pleasure or avoid pain. Trust me, when you're down the line of addiction, there is no more pleasure. You don't get pleasure from anything. <laughs> Anhedonia is the word that describe it. Um, but no, it is it's to avoid pain. But and that's that's why we why we drink. We try to escape our reality. So therefore, um, we it's it's all quite nice to think. Ah, oh, why why can't he just stop drinking? Come on, it is it is just don't do it, as Nancy Reagan said in the eighties, and it makes me cringe because people don't realize that alcohol is actually such a such a powerful and good friend to start off with 
to start off with it can help you and it can it serves a role it it serves a function and the problem is we addicts we alcoholics we don't work on the reason that we drink and that's the half bed <laughs> so yeah i mean that's that's for sure and and really the the uh, use at the beginning does serve a purpose and it works well it works really well whether it is avoiding pain avoiding discomfort avoiding conflict or this perception of of creating pleasure but ultimately what happens is that it doesn't work any longer and in fact i can speak in my own case um i i can recall and have euphoric recall for things that i thought were really fantastic in my using career but ultimately you start chasing and it no longer works and in a way it's it's like going into a toolbox a tool bag and grabbing a tool that no longer serves the purpose mm. and the harder i try to make that tool work the more damage that i continue to do ooh and nice nice i think well I, listen man i think it's really uh difficult for the people around this to see it because the person using and that's suffering from addiction spends a lot of time effort and energy on how to make it look and feel different to preserve the ability to continue to use very nicely said when i look at back at the time uh, when I was drinking, I was always not always in now in recovery. I was joking about that. I was I was a full time alcoholic um, because in the morning you hide that you were hungover, then you hide that you're barely functioning, then you hide that you're buying the alcohol, you hide the alcohol, you hide the drinking of the alcohol, and then you hide that you're drunk until you can't anymore and you pass out. <laughs> so that was, I was busy. I was really busy. <laughs> so you think. Well, and before that, the other time was spent thinking about how I was going to be able to get alcohol mm. or I was going to be able to get drugs or how I was going to be able to get the space to use it. Mm. So not only full-time, but working overtime. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Love it. And if, if it does, if those of you out there who are listening and viewing, if, if that rings a bell with you, welcome, welcome to the club, because we all have done it. That is that was our life. Uh, if that is still part of your life, congratulations, you're in the right place, man, or woman, or however you you identify. Um, it is alcoholic. Uh, alcohol is a is a is a disease that affects everyone and, and go broader addiction is a disease that affects at least one in three so if you are listening out there and you're thinking oh my god no one will understand me no one knows what i'm going through sorry man look around and you will find so many others they are just as busy hiding and as busy in in suffering in their own quiet way um there are a few of us who have had the privilege to be dragged out of our behaviors and out of our misery um, 
and I say literally being dragged out of because often he takes the 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 hands of loved ones and of someone who knows what they are doing to actually help you finally see that you're powerless over alcohol. And we, I use alcohol here because that was my poison. Um, there are the same applies to other addictions. Let it be opiates. Let it be you name it. Um, it is. I think it is that the, what the behaviors are the same. Um, and often enough, there is then the issue of cross addiction. So whilst you start in one poison, when you stop that, you you know, you stop the alcohol, you start smoking like a chimney, then you stop the smoking, then there is no sugar safe from you, and so on and so on. It's a whack-a-mole of cross addiction. So again, so this what we are saying here, don't don't hang yourself up on on the alcohol. Hey, I'm a druggie, not an alcoholic. Yeah, <laughs> welcome to the club, man. It's a big club. <laughs> you got ownership. <laughs> oh man. So so tell me, Steve. I mean, they, you don't just fall into a role that you had what shall i do oh i've become the ceo that's a good idea so obviously you had the experience um how was your intervention did how was your what was your turning point and may i ask what yes. was your poison what was your poison what did you like so the truth is that anything that could take me away from having to deal with the present and the and the realities of what was going on in my life, mm. I could abuse. Mm. What what brought me to the end with substances was cocaine, mm. and um, at the end I was I was using cocaine in a way that uh, all I could do was either use it or think about using it, think about getting it, getting it, and um, I uh, was using at a rate that. I was almost essentially every dollar that I was making was going towards my uh, my habit, and I was in business in a family business, and ultimately um, I had money that I had to repay. That when it came time to repay it, I wasn't able to do it, and on that day I was really making a decision about whether I was going to take my life whether I was going to steal the money or whether I was going to try to somehow muster up the ability to tell the truth. And ultimately I told partial, 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 partial until more and more started to come out. And um, my, my dad at the time said, Hey, look, um, if you, uh, if you go to treatment, uh, you can continue working. And my wife said at the time, uh, you know, if you go to treatment, I will stay with you and help you through this recovery journey. And my intervention was in April of uh, 1992. So I've been sober since April 17th of 1992 Ooh. and <laughs> have, have been on a journey that not only did I realize, and you said, you know, there's many addictions, um, I was able to put down uh, drugs and alcohol then and, and have not used since. But there's been other behaviors uh, that have creeped in. You talked about sugar. I I ha have a top weight of 335 pounds, and today I'm walking around at 200. Um, there wasn't enough to eat then. Mm. 
And I also, in my sobriety, um, betrayed my wife and and lost my marriage and and my family. And really, it wasn't until I hit that bottom that real recovery began. And you know, I think for me, it's all around honesty and the ability to be um, one hundred percent humble and honest about what went on. And when I got to that place, my life really started to improve. And, um, you know, without going through the whole story, recovery has been really kind to me. My my family uh, and my children have, my relationship with them today is as is, is great as I could imagine. Mm-hmm. And um, my wife and I, who divorced in 2010, have gotten back together and and uh, uh, we have worked really hard to to heal the past and um, you know the recovery is the exact opposite of active addiction. Active addiction wants to do anything to not deal with discomfort, and recovery <laughs> says bring on the discomfort in the moment so that we can so that we can get through it and you know for me the ability to see what my own story is not as a way to uh make it about me but from where i was anything is possible and i just love having the ability to be in a in a uh career today that i can help provide families and individuals who are hopeless recognize that there is hope. That's so beautiful, isn't it? Because this is one of the worst things that a loved one can go through, just this feeling of utter helplessness. Uh, You can shout, you can scream, you can cry, you can threaten divorce, uh, and nothing will happen. And (laughs) why do I know that? My wife did exactly that. Now, my wife has been an alcoholic as well. So, but with the help of her church, she found sobriety. Um, she was initially white knuckling it. So, in other words, uh, many of the reasons why she drank were not necessarily uh, addressed, but she found the help and she actually got to a point where she was no longer drinking. And as often as the case, the pendulum swung. <laughs> An extreme rabbit anti-drinker um, was now my wife. And these next two, three years were brutal. Um, but the more she uh, was upset and screamed, the more I was hiding, the more I was angry, the more I was defensive. I was a real asshole. Um, and I thought I was an asshole as a younger man, but hey, turns out you can get even better in that job. Um, so here you go. And then I was lucky because I guess deep inside I knew this pain would never go away. And there's only, I mean, I drank gallons of vodka and, and didn't actually help. Guess what? I was just, again, crying uh, my eyes out in the garage, slurring my you probably could not understand the word I was saying at the time. Um, but it was so much pain there. And then one day things changed. And I woke up in uh, on a on a Wednesday morning 
And what had occurred, I could vaguely remember, is that in the middle of me crying, bawling my eyes out in a drunken state, she had called my boss at work, who came across, came home, uh, saw me, sat down, and and um, I remember saying that that particular path of medicine I had chosen at that time um, was really not for me, uh, and it was really harming me. I, I remember that sentence of him, and the rest was all a blur. And I woke up the next morning, and my family came in, and there was not an antagonistic word. There was not any hatred. There was pure love. My teenage boys laid down with me, um, gave me a hug. My wife came in and I expected her to rip my head off. And instead, she came down and lay down on the bed with me. And they told me with love that they had organized an admission to a rehabilitation hospital and that I don't need to worry about the money. I don't need to worry about a job. Um, so I was I was uh, stood down from work. I was off sick. Um, I don't need to think about anything else than getting better. And Friday morning, uh, we are driving up to Auckland as a family. And it was that love that completely disarmed me, completely let me finally take the masks down that I was wearing. And I will never forget that. It was the most beautiful and the most scary moment ever. But as an addict in, in full-blown addiction mode, it was so beautiful to finally stop fighting, fighting myself, fighting everyone else. Um, and that was so beautiful. So please, please, please. Um, a, a proper... Um, how should I say that? A proper intervention can be a lifesaver and has again and again been. And that is what you do. That is what you do well. So let's let's talk, though. Let's talk a bit about intervention and rehab. Because what makes a rehab good compared with maybe, how shall I say that? I, uh, in, in my rehab, I met people who had been to pr pretty much every rehab in New Zealand and nothing stuck. And some of those things, some of those rehabs were more like prison sentences. One famous one was somewhere in the South Island where one of my um, fellow addicts was basically a slave labor. And she had to pick uh, cucumbers and, and paprika and peppers, etc. for pretty much most of the week. Uh, without any pay uh, and then on saturday they had two hours of group session and it was it and that was nine months nine months of, of, of you think what the fuck <laughs> so and that was that was called rehab <laughs> bullshit so what makes a good rehab so, yeah I, you know if, if i could first of all you know thank you for sharing your story and your journey and you know, there were some really important elements to what happened. And, you know, I like to use the word intervention and interruption interchangeably. Because in many cases, intervention 
brings a, a view to people's mind of a certain something that maybe they saw on TV before. Mm-hmm. And um, the things that are present for a successful intervention or interruption, the number one ingredient is love. Mm-hmm. And what you described was this, this envelope, this container, this beautiful container of love. The other thing is that somebody in active addiction, especially needing treatment immediately, is not best suited to make their own decisions on their care. (laughs) Yeah. And what happened in (laughs) and what happened in that moment, if we break this down, is that all of the decisions were taken out of your hands. They were made for you. The decision that you don't have to worry about money, you don't have to worry about work, and uh, you're going on Friday, Mm. and we're all driving there. There was no place for the addict to go. Mm. And what happened where you were able to accept that love was the beginning of surrender. And, And really what intervention does is it breaks the outside armor that we have to put on to stay in addiction and and feel like we're protecting ourselves and our heart mm-hmm. so what happened for you was a beautiful beautiful thing and um and god bless your family and and thank god mm-hmm. so i i did want to comment on that and then to answer your question to answer your question about what makes a good rehab. You know, I am, I I very much believe in um, having the proper environment to be able to grow something. I use the analogy all the time. If we want to grow a cactus, there's a certain environment that's needed. That environment is dry and hot. And if I have a dry, hot environment, I have the best opportunity for my cactus to grow. If we want to grow a recovering person, there's a certain environment necessary. Because if we go back to that cactus, I'm in Michigan right now, and it's snowing and cold out. No matter how badly I want that cactus to grow, Uh it's not growing. As a family member, I can root it on. As As a physician or a treatment center, I could tell you, how badly that we want it to, but it's not happening. Uh And the same is true in this. So I believe there are ingredients that give um, treatment the best option or or the best opportunity to succeed. I think that environment of a caring and loving environment, I think an environment that provides safety an environment that provides consistency, an environment that is not shaming, and an environment that um, really is able to uh, address the needs of that particular person. Because every treatment center doesn't uh, work for every person. 
you know, there are many different things that somebody presents with, and there are many different things that treatment centers do well with. And it's not one size fits all. So, uh, you know, um, there is in, in, in our world, we, we try to look at uh, what vets a treatment center from three perspectives. One, clinically, second, ethically, and third, um, contextually, the environment that is, that is created. And I think it's also important that we need to quickly say that intervention will maybe uh, be a bit different depending upon on your choice of poisons that you have used. So to um, if you were uh, using high doses of opiates, then it's pretty likely that if you were to just stop that you end up in trouble it's called a withdrawal maybe even as, as bad as a delirium so there was some a very clinically unwell person waiting to come out so you need nearly a bit of a of a hospital kind of approach and 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 support there um compared maybe with someone who has got maybe more long-standing uh cannabis uh use or alcohol um the alcohol equally can can give you a delirium no no two ways and a withdrawal um luckily in my case that was not so bad my blood pressure went through the roof and i had a bit of a sympathetic storm going um but i i didn't see little martians climbing the walls etc um but it's still there was there was actually a facility there there were two free beds allocated for more specific input um and there were actually nursing staff there in that rehab where i was um to to specifically look after the medical needs of a person no doubt really important oh hell yes and um as alcoholics um please our nutrition is shit I mean, you know, have you had breakfast? Not a single drop. Um, okay, so that's typically <laughs> it. <laughs> would you like a bit of cheese on top of the wine? <laughs> that was that would be typically your, your nutrition. So you're actually malnourished. Um, we are anyhow in Western society. We are malnourished. Uh, that is my my firm belief because really 80-90% of what you buy in a supermarket is certainly not food being defined as something that actually increases your health and, and helps you to, to prosper. Um, so that's our normal. <laughs> then you're an alcoholic where you basically have shit nutrition. The alcohol uses and denudes you, uh, takes stuff out. So you need to, to have so much more there. Um, so from a medical point of view, there needs to be a good focus on nutrition there, etc. And we haven't even touched about the reasons why you're drinking. So, and the ways you go about it. So, wow, this is not just, oh, just don't drink anymore and you're going to be fine. This is actually the first month uh, is, is a very interesting, interesting transformation. Um, you, do you, you know, you, you, hit a, you hit a really important point there because we can't address what's underneath and really the cause before getting sober. So getting sober is 100% hmm. the immediate need. And there's a certain amount of time medically hmm. that it takes to get 
sober to get clean. And then there's a time that it really takes uh, in in being able to start addressing recovery hmm. and gaining tools to no longer have to use. And if we only get sober and learn how not to use, but don't address what's driving underneath. Absolutely. It's only amount of time before the pain of why we were using in the first place comes back. And it's it, it's a belief why there's so much recurrence is because somebody may put the substance down. They may even learn mm. some tools to not use substance anymore. But ultimately, the pressure underneath um, creates a, a recurrence or a relapse. Mm. Exactly. So one of the one of the things in answering your question earlier, what makes a good uh, treatment program? I believe length of time is also just a huge part of this, and people really would like to address maybe you know, five years, 10 years, 20 years, 40 years of use and wanted to get better in a two week or three week or four week period of time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and if I had one ability to have one thing be understood, it would be that, you know, we didn't get here overnight. We mm. ain't getting out of here overnight. That's true. And I think it's really, really important to recognize that it is the proper ingredients present and over time. So if we use the analogy of, of you know, baking something, good ingredients left in the oven for the right amount of time. Perfect, perfect. Yeah. And I'm a cheesecake man, German cheesecake, so none, none of that American stuff there. Uh, we bake our cheesecakes <laughs> and you bake it for an hour and then you open up the, the door and let the, the temperature come down. Um, so a German cheesecake is a masterpiece because it has all the love in there. And I always say that that we are because we're baking it so long, we're baking all the calories out of it. Um, so therefore, you can eat as much as you want. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, that doesn't work. Sorry, trust me. Um, but no, it's so important what you're saying. Um, trauma comes in layers. And so does your healing. So I... I'm now eight years down the line and I still heal. This show helps me because I've got the privilege to talk to such beautiful people out there, uh, such as Steve, who who honors me by, by spending an hour with me. That is an hour of therapy, an hour of reflection, an hour of, 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 yeah, growing, actually. So that is beautiful. And that's eight years down the line. So I I will never stop healing i will never stop growing and that's that's again that's a privilege that's a choice it's a choice that i've got to, nowadays that i want to live intentionally i want to make the most out of this life and that's that's where you see that the the, the the passion in my face and in steve's face because we have been in the darkness we know that shit and now it's time to actually live in the light and maybe be the light in the darkness of someone else and that is such a beautiful, beautiful thing. But guys, it, it doesn't work overnight. I mean, <laughs> for crying out loud, I'm not the dumbest. I'm the dumbest guy in, in town. So I thought, hey, I'm a doctor. 
I'm now in recovery. I showed him I would be the best recovering addict that there can be. And I threw myself into it. And oh my God. And I made huge progress. I mean, in all fairness, in the, the first four weeks were just nuts. And then I thought, and now I graduate and now I've done it. Great. I've, I've finished my <laughs> <laughs> I truly, truly believed that uh, after a month, and I was so proud of myself. Needless to say, I had a lapse uh, in my first year, and it is, I felt so, so full of shame, full of guilt uh, that I had a drink and that I got drunk that night. And my wife, the next day, instead of being angry, she said, Brilliant. Now let's figure out why that happened. And that was such a beautiful attitude. There was no fight. There was no nothing. How did it happen? I thought, huh, okay, that's a different way of looking at things. And we worked on it. And again, that helped me heal another aspect. Later down the line, I finally figured out that PTSD had so much more uh, of a role to play in my life. And I had just only disguised it really well. Uh, the moment I, I had that breakthrough, and that was five years after being sober, um, I, I suddenly allowed myself to grow further and heal further. But it all takes time. So just one thing I want to say, by the way, that there was yeah. 28 days, the four weeks. Um, that is actually the only reason that traditionally these were four weeks is because that was the maximum that the American insurance companies were actually paying out. So therefore, a four-week program, well, that is the maximum that you can charge. Does that mean that everyone will be done and dusted in four weeks? Hell no. Could it be faster? Mm. Are there, I, I know there are other other concepts or I, I mean I was I was uh, brought up so to speak in a 12-step program um that worked really well for me and but I know there are many other more scientific kind of of um intellectual kind of approaches church approaches etc some of these programs are shorter two weeks three weeks um does the initial time frame matter so uh to me, anecdotally, the answer is 100% yes. And then without being able to quote the exact research, there is research out there that says that um, 90 days of treatment mm -hmm. shows the best outcomes. Mm -hmm. So exactly. absolutely it does. Yeah. yeah. And you know, you, you touched on something, mm -hmm. sorry, you touched on something earlier that I just wanted to illuminate mm -hmm. a little bit. When you talked about shame, and guilt and remorse. I believe those are also great friends of addiction. And, and shame plays a tremendous part in having that addict personality inside of us grab a hold of to be able to rationalize and justify <laughs> continuing to use. Oh, yeah. <laughs> in fact, I, I, I feel like those character defects are actually like employees of my addict. And their responsibility, their job description is actually to go out and get me to say, fuck it. Because from that place, if yeah. I get so angry that I say that, then it's easy. If I get uh, so jealous, if I get so sick, all of those things are 
shame is is a is a definite issue that the answer is not using more and the answer is in in recovery the ability for us to be able to address the discomfort what your wife did for you when she didn't rage and shame you for picking up a drink was incredible and and this is this is something that is very hard to understand and very wonderful to experience and i feel like this is where faith comes into recovery because if we have faith that some of these things that are being told shown some of these paths are provided if we can have faith long enough for there to be evidence i'm staying in that i'm staying in that recovery lane because once you have an experience like this we can build upon it hmm. until i have it um it's so easy to think about my old ways as the answer so, so what was done for you, which really was another type of intervention. Okay, was, absolutely. Was so beautiful. And again, mm. in that loving environment. Exactly. And uh, yeah, no, it is, it is beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful to experience that. And we have got, ultimately, we have got a life to live and it's waiting for us but in order to get there this new life when you're not used to it then it's really hard for you to imagine how to get there so you need to actually practice it's a bit like like driving a bike you you will fall off okay you need to practice on your on your training wheels a bit and that's where i guess the safety bubble of a good rehab comes in it was, we often, with hindsight, talked about that safety bubble of, of Capri. Capri was the name of that rehabilitation hospital that in its form, unfortunately, is no longer in existence. But it was, it was that safety bubble, that beautiful bubble within which we could explore, create new habits, be guided be shown around by people when in my rehab everyone i talked to i realized was an addict the nurses the staff the psychologists bar two or three of the doctors all of them were ex-addicts when we're not ex-addicts we are addicts in recovery. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah in recovery that's right we 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 don't lose that um but they showed me that you can live a life and have your ducks in a row. Whilst <laughs> in my life, <laughs> I had squirrels and they were on a rave. <laughs> no, 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 no. There was nothing in a row. So, and then when I realized that, wow. And it, for me, one of the, the, the biggest thing was that you also need time to address the, the multifacets of your own addiction. Two, three weeks into my rehab, the boss of the rehab said, come on, Stefan, we're going to go for a drive. We're going to go have a coffee outside. And that was a big thing because the first two weeks, typically you're locked in. You voluntarily uh, do not, you sign a contract that you do not leave. And so therefore I had, uh, I was taken out and we went to a cafe in, in Auckland. And he said, I want you to meet someone. 
And we walked in there and there was a colleague of mine waiting. And that colleague, I, I had, I, I was at that time very much into uh, chronic pain medicine. I had organized uh, conventions and stuff like that. I'd invited that dude to speak um, on one of my, my, my things. And so I was gobsmacked when he introduced him to me. And it turned out that this patient had a history of opiates and had injected in the past. And we had such a beautiful, honest discussion that was blowing me completely away. Uh, for me, a man who was hiding, hiding, hiding everything, thinking that he somehow can fool all the people around me, bullshit, um, um, to then speak openly and honestly and hear the experience of that man. That was that was gold for me. That was You're gold beautiful. for me isn't it and it is is again the the opposite of addiction is connection and when you actually start connecting with people who are in recovery you suddenly can see um what a beautiful life can wait for you but that all can't happen in one day even one week or one month when do you want to squeeze all that in <laughs> no you need to build habits and depending on which research you read, well, those habits take, what, 40 times, 70 times, 30 times. You need to do the same thing again and again and again before it becomes a habit. And so if you want to, to learn a new skill, you need to repeat it about 300 times, that movement, that throw, that whatever it is. Yeah. And if you want to undo something bad that you have learned and replace it with something good that takes about 3000 times <laughs> so these are the skills when you talk about manual skills etc um yeah. so do you really think you can do that in one week of rehab <laughs> no so therefore i think it's really 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 important to actually say that an intervention is the start of the most beautiful journey that will not be a straight line but it will meander it will go in places where you have no freaking clue because there is there's so much to explore in your past. There's so much to explore as on the path. How do you become better? What needs to be addressed in which sequence? And that's where someone like you, Steve, comes in. You have got a team because it's not just Steve. Steve doesn't ride in with a horse. And it's... <laughs> Although you make a good knight in shining armor, okay, I give you that. <laughs> but no, so you need a team. What is your ideal team? So the ideal team is the the family members mm -hmm. and close uh, relations to the person of concern to the loved one. These are the people that when they walk in the room. If addiction is put to the side, they matter the most to the person of concern. Mm -hmm. And typically, those are those are family members, close friends. Sometimes it has been an associate from work. Sometimes it's been clergy. Sometimes it was a coach, you know, mm -hmm. or or a mentor uh, that that is that is involved. And in putting together this team. You know, we also work uh, as a company that provides these types of interventions with somebody in our group that we call the second chair. 
and that second chair is is somebody that we we create this this uh, this team that is able to all get on the same page for the same purpose, hmm. and that purpose is getting the person to say yes. So we we create a uh, uh, a context, a container of love. We bring people together, and we often work with them to create a commitment statement. So that commitment statement has um, what it is that they want to ultimately have happen, but also who are they committed to being? Mm -hmm. So we, the Smith family, are committed to being loving, patient, courageous, and honest so that Billy can say yes to treatment get the help that he needs hmm. and begin becoming healthy again. Hmm. So those, the first part of that is actually the ingredients to create the second part. And the elements are a team that have a really good focus and direction on what it is that they want to create. And then we lead that team through a, a, a process to help uh, identify uh, or, or help the, the loved one say yes to treatment and get them the treatment that they need. Nice. What would you say to um, a loved one? Let's say, um, let's say a, a husband is in trouble. His wife wants to give it one more shot. But the parents have seen um, the repeated attempts and the repeated failures of that man and said, nah, the enough is enough. There is no hope. What would you say to such a, yeah. such a scenario? Well, what we want to be able to do is we want to be able to identify what ultimately everybody would like to have happen. So even if someone has lost hope, they still would like to have an outcome for their loved one. Mm -hmm. So being able to identify what that would be and help be with that fam, with those parents on the fact that this is what they would like for their son, that it is possible. And because the past is not a, a, a guaranteed indication of what the future will be, How can we live in what's possible? And how can we look at what hasn't worked in the past and build on it? Just like your wife said to nice. you when you when 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 you had a slip, mm. it was all right. So what's you know, what's not working? What do we need to add? And we can utilize the past as a powerful tool to move forward. And very often you can recognize that the ability to the, 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 the fact of a team that is all on the same page, going to the same goal, communicating in a loving way, in a non-shaming way, in a non-angry way was never done before. Exactly. Exactly. And, But, and, and you this nailed is it. A, this is the opportunity. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. And with that, What we are talking about is actually creating the right setting to disarm 
this 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 person this human who is in trouble and who is fighting so hard and disarming him or her with love and then uh allowing a change to occur allowing this person to be put into an environment a bubble where he or she can experiment <laughs> this time not experiment with drugs but experiment yeah. with feelings experiment with emotions oh. experiment with new habits um because all that is new <laughs> we we have got a very set uh, way of living as an addict with habits that are not so great so we need to learn new ones and as we said you need that to repeat. Is the, that's the interruption isn't it exactly and that's i like that actually the interruption that's that's a, a nice thing so first the intervention and then the interruption so now you've got basically your LP. For those of, of you, there was a weird thing uh, many, many, many years ago. It was vinyl. And they, they sort of made little grooves in it. And then when you put a little needle on it, there was sound coming out. Yeah, well, and, and the problem with these vinyls is they were not very, very good. So if you if you have that that song playing again and again, and if you suddenly take a screwdriver and go on that vinyl, that song will never play the same way again. So that is exactly what a good rehab does. It changes our habits. It changes the way that we look at ourselves, that we understand ourselves. It allows us to suddenly explore the demons that were riding us deep inside. It, it allows us to explore the pain that was actually causing often enough the, 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 was the reason why we were drinking. Um, it allows us to explore not just what other people did to us, but also maybe our own contribution to whatever was actually going on. Again, guys, do you get an idea? Just, you can't do that overnight. Okay, so that is... Oh, it was so beautiful. I mean, it is, yeah, my steps to sobriety in my book. I, I describe one one situation where I, where my case manager, she asked me to write down uh, a letter to a certain institution that I felt had really done me wrong and really upset me and write it all down in my new details. And oh, I went to town, wrote it all down. I wrote that night until my fingers cramped. And the next day, as I walked to her, all pride came into the office. Come on, come on let I, let me show you. Let me, let me, let, let's go for it. <laughs> and she took the paper and sort of quickly skimmed it. I said, oh, that's good. Folded it, put it to the side. Now let's talk about you. And I said, but, 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 but. <laughs> and I was pissed off with her. I was so pissed off. And I let rip. The next day when the feeling session, I let rip. Oh, she has no idea what she's doing. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, and it took me about a week to actually realize, oh, my boy, there's so much more that I have contributed to maybe a whole situation than I ever let myself uh, admit it. So, again, guys, that was that was that that breakthrough alone took me a week. Okay. So how can you imagine that you maybe go for a week or two or three in there and have it all done? 
There's no way in hell. So the 90 days, I liked that a lot. So for us, I went into four weeks inpatient rehab, um, and it was the, the best thing ever. But then you were discharged out of this bubble into a more community approach. Because I was further away, I went into a more re, a more local follow on and it was sort of the 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 30 meetings in 30 days uh kind of thing and and more intensive outpatient rehab uh so there was a, a stepwise approach unfortunately um those places that i then went to were not even a shadow of the original rehab hospital often enough i felt arrogantly that i can run that 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 meeting better than this person can um and the problem was that in the in the new setting people had not done four weeks of intensive inpatient rehab they had come out of the community they were still on step one two three mm -hmm. and were sort of trying you know to find their feet whilst i had been hitting the ground running with four weeks of inpatient so interesting guess the point i'm trying to make is this is a journey. This is not a sprint. This is not even a long distance run. This is actually the journey of 10,000 miles. And the way to start is putting one foot forward. Often enough, you don't even know which, which foot forward. So therefore, that's where the intervention comes in. So that brings the first think, few steps. <laughs> yeah, I think one thing on the on this topic that's really important is that one of the qualities of the addictive brain is that it has amnesia. <laughs> and and what is important, when I say amnesia, it's after a, a period of time without the substance, it starts to further minimize and forget about the pain of how bad it got. And one of the reasons that 12-step groups and other community-based groups do so well is that it allows us to keep what happened for ourselves and others at the top of consciousness mm -hmm. because that addictive brain wants to push it down and forget it and minimize mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. They talk about here that while you're in an AA meeting, many times you know, the addict is our alcoholic is out in the parking lot doing push-ups, getting waiting, getting stronger. And we, we really we, we really, on this journey of 10,000 miles, want to keep in consciousness that the, the addiction and the abuse doesn't just go away. Hmm. And recovery is about being able to keep it as at top of consciousness, to be able to continue to process, to be able to continue to share. Hmm. To be able to continue to recognize that although it has been a period of time since I've used last, I am no doesn't make me immune. So I have mm -hmm. to be vigilant about recovery, which is why the intervention, the initial treatment stay is just a start. But the journey is really a, a very powerful and worthwhile one. Mm. Oh, please, definitely. Wow. Uh, it's it's beautiful to reminisce a bit about the the first few days and the first the first month, two, three. Um 
this was this was such a change in my life and to compare with the wreck that I was before compared with the wreck that I'm now <laughs> when I say wreck I'm still the same man but they've used the the I guess the the Japanese concept of kintsugi where you use broken porcelain and you use gold glue and you create uh, you put the porcelain back together. It will never be as strong, but it will be very, very beautiful uh, because you've got that that thing. And when I say not as strong, that applies to the porcelain cup. I think nowadays I'm so much stronger than I ever was uh, prior to my my journey. So I'm I I so want to infuse you guys to to submit to and that might be a negative word to be willing to change what what would you how would you describe it to to an addict submission yes we do submit to a higher power yeah, I think, fair call i think how, it is um surrender surrender yeah yeah realizing that you are not the solution to the problem yeah um that you, you know i i think that if you and I were in a tussle together and you put your hands up and I put my hands up and we're pushing against each other, we're in a fight. Mm. And recovery really is the ability to step aside and let that energy pass by. It is used the same way in the martial arts. Mm. Is that There is a fight when there's resistance, but when I step aside, that resistance begins to lessen and leave. And that is a surrender. So there's power in being able to say, I give no more. Mm. Nice. Nice, 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 nice. Well, I love it. I love it, Steve. You're doing such a beautiful way in, in describing interventions and and the, the power that is actually inherent in love that is that a family has, that a group of individuals have um, to actually assist and help uh, a an addict to become the new and improved version 2.0 after addiction. Um, if if people love to hear more from you, where can they find you? Where can they find Feinberg Consultant? So FeinbergCare.com, F-E-I-N-B-E-R-G.com is our is our website. And uh, a lot of information there, all contact information is, is available. And, and uh, I appreciate your time and, and the ability to have this conversation is, is awesome. Guys, look down there into the description of the YouTube video and of the podcast, because we've got all his links there. Steve Feldman, uh, a great man, a man who is out there to make this world a better place. And that's, I mean, this world bloody well needs it. Um, and he is there because he has seen the darkness. I'm there because I've seen the darkness. You guys out there, the sheer fact that you're still listening to this interview at this stage means either you have been in the darkness or you are still in the darkness. I hope that today we have shown you that there is hope. If two numbnuts like us 
can get our shit together. <laughs> Come on, there must be hope for you, honestly. <laughs> so let's make this world a better place. Let's do not give up hope, but actually let's go out there. Let's make intentional decisions. Let's live intentionally one moment at a time because you can either work towards your relapse or you can work towards your recovery. You can work towards a better you or towards maybe not such a nice person of you. It's your choice. And, you know, there are so many ways how you can do that. But if addiction is an issue, get in touch with Steve and, and explore if there is a way um, to move forward. Now, if there are people outside of Michigan, if there are people in Europe who love to hear your voice, can you do an, 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 a rescue, so to speak, over, over Zoom? So we have... We have uh, uh clients that we've worked with all over the United States and also outside of the country. There are great many things that can happen virtually through, you know, uh, platforms like Zoom. Mm -hmm. And depending on the situation we've done, we've traveled, I've traveled many, many places. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. So again, no excuse there, guys. No excuse. What holds you back? Okay, money holds you back. Okay, let's talk one more thing. Money, we did not touch about that at all. Um, when I went into rehab, um, one of the reasons that I was stressed at that time was money. And we didn't have that money because it cost me 27,000 New Zealand dollars um, at that time, a month of inpatient rehab. Um, my wife was able to, to get a loan from the bank for that. And personally, I must say, whilst that sounds a hell of a lot, that was about a year and a half of my alcohol. Um, so if I look at just that the money, 27,000, yeah, that would have bought me 18 months of alcohol. Now, keeping in mind that, I ate, that I'm eight years sober now, rest assured, this was the best investment ever <laughs> because <laughs> infinite return on investment now. <laughs> so... Bottom line is, um, if, if people say money is an issue, is that really an issue? So what somebody is going to say is an issue is the thing that they want to use <laughs> to be in the way of getting, <laughs> getting better. Yeah. And there are circumstances, and when somebody is, is, is truly ready to get better, Every circumstance can be handled. There's always a way. I love that. I 100% subscribe to that. I 100% believe that. I didn't believe it at the time, yet my own story is exactly the proof to, to your statement. You're quite right. Yep. Steve Feldman, what an honor to have you on my show. I wish you a fantastic 2023 um, let's continue to make this world a better place. You with your interventions, me with my sh me with my show, with my own story. It's wonderful to be to meet new friends like you, Steve. Look after yeah, yourself. I, I really enjoyed being here. <laughs> Keep up the great work, and happy New Year to you as well. Thank you very much. And you guys out there, go out there, look after yourself, and live with passion. Bye. Bye bye. I never give up.